adventure climbing on the mountainside welcome once again to wwf the legacy series this is the road to SummerSlam 1993 uh, we have a lot coming up lex luger is crisscrossing the united states in his touch my bicep tour we'll, we'll kind of check in on that as we go along Razor Ramon is a babyface and he is on the rise. Jim Cornette enters the WWF. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a whole lot, including tag team action, the Steiner brothers, and so much more. I am the Mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the Brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans. We are on the road to SummerSlam. It's going to be a longer road than usual because today we got all this great bonus material. But next week, as we have mentioned, we are going to be doing a special Lex Luger retrospective on the eve of what maybe could have been his greatest accomplishment. We know that is not to be. So there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff coming up here. We are deep in the weird year of 1993, and I am feeling very excited about it all. Mystic, how are you holding up on uh, the road to the Lex Express here? Um, <clears throat> life right now is busy and difficult, and then this is not the greatest time uh, in wrestling, so... <laughs> The challenges are surmounting. Uh, this is not a favorite time of mine. There's nothing in the WWF that I'm happy to revisit when it comes to Lex Luger. Um, we will do the special next week in order to maybe try to at least carve out a better narrative for Lex Luger. But right now I feel buried by the real world and buried by what's about to happen in the WWF with the mighty Yokozuna. Oh, my bad timing uh, all around, it sounds like, but um, <sighs> that's all right. We'll make it through this. Uh, you you will have your um, your uh, Nitro beating Hogan moment, I believe, just as Luger overcame this challenge and had a crowning moment later on. Lord, Lord, I hope so. You just <laughs> need someone as generous as Hulk Hogan to bump into, huh, Miss Fan? Oh, my God. <laughs> Lord have mercy. What Such a, words what a were never we spoken before. Oh my goodness. Whew. All right. So uh, we got a lot of bonus material here to cover today. So we're going to jump right into it. First off, we got one of these uh, under the radar matches, hidden matches that uh, looked interesting on paper and we wanted to check out. So first we got the team of the Head Shrinkers wrestling on WWF Mania. They are taking on the uh, the the unthought of by me team of tito santana and bob backland they are taking it up here mystic what do we think of this first match here this is the continuation in one way of we still have nothing to do with tito santana which is kind of sad since he has been capable for a long time but i like the idea of tito and bob backland it's also two guys that i think if you put them in anything that they're going to do the best that they can I entirely agree. What I continuously think, both with Tito and with Bob Backlund in this era, is here's two guys who are loaded with talent, who are still, uh, well, uh, Tito's connected with the fans. I think Backlund hasn't really found it back yet. But um, even so, like, you could have kept these two together for a while. It's not really the right era for that kind of tag team. But, man, I, you could have made it happen, I think. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to judge Bob Backlund because, as an adult, I wonder... Was was it the goal for him not to connect with the fans? 
<laughs> oh my like is there a long-term plan to yeah. turn him heel oh man i don't think i believe that um i've heard at least that they were always planning to try a heel run at some point in this i that i can believe but i don't think in 93 they're at the point where they're purposely tanking gimmicks to try to you know john cena hasn't been invented yet so i don't believe that <laughs> it's an interesting team it's like, as a kid, I liked Tito. For some reason, as a kid, I did not like Bob Backlund, so I was in the masses. But I don't know if it's the knowledge of what's to come. But, like, I can't help but I like everything he's done so far as an adult rewatching. I think he's a tremendously impressive wrestler, which was maybe not the way to get over in 1993 either. But um, I don't know. I've always enjoyed Bob Backlund a lot, even when he's not doing the crazy, uh, you know, old man gimmick. So, We'll, we'll keep an eye on him, but I agree. I think he's actually done very well in this run so far. Yeah, so we got uh, the Head Shrinkers, too. We got Mr. Fuji, who is just um, burning up. We're told that he and Yoko have chosen our most beloved holiday for our slam contest. <laughs> Christmas? Oh, no, wait. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, we have Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. I love both guys, but oh my god, that's an overpowering dose of uh, babyface privilege. So they they are just disgusted by everything Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji related. Yeah. They meanwhile though, they get they get in that Jim Ross says I think that Hulk Hogan couldn't do it, and Gorilla Monsoon says he tried three times. <laughs> yes, they are uh, sour on Hulk Hogan, so that's definitely a sign of the times. They are they are crappy on Hulk Hogan's failure to do the slam here slam contest just sounds sounds like something nickelodeon would do again (laughs) you know it doesn't sound vicious it doesn't sound mean it's just a slam contest uh nickelodeon's getting a lot of play on the legacy series yeah wwf you know there's some talk that they may someday be bought by disney that seems about right and nickelodeon maybe would be more appropriate so yeah i get you i keep i almost went on a long rant if this was 4 a.m i woke up at 4 a.m and did a really long rant to start the show and then i fell back asleep um (laughs) and uh part of it is the fact that if you even if you watched ecw and you were like i don't like ecw or you watch ECW and you're like, I love ECW. When you rewatch this era, especially watching WWF right now, mm. you realize that the biggest thing ECW probably ever did was not its direct contribution to the sport, but its indirect contribution where it looked around and said, this will not be the norm in pro wrestling. This sucks. You are abusing your power and you will not ruin what little bit of space pro wrestling has on television. And we are currently in the era where WWF wants to sit in a little shitty place just because it's in New York. Apologies to all that are offended by that. For <laughs> fans that are half the time are not hot and are not into it. Not talking about matches, but talking about topical stuff that nobody cares about, that they themselves are the last people anyone would want to hear talk about it and call it whatever they think that they are. Um, I will say it like this. When Hagrid came to get Harry Potter, he's like, you don't know what you are. And I will say to the WWF, you don't know what you are. And here comes ECW to say, no, 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 this is not what pro wrestling is going to be. It's going to be something different. So we are in the era that made ECW right now, and we are covering it uh, one week at a time. Mm, yes, as uh, Vince and the WWF and uh, WCW and their motley crew of people in charge, as they went goofier and sillier and more uh, cartoonish. Somebody came along 
And, you know, I got my critiques of Paul Heyman, but he definitely came along and he said, hey, let's go the other way because that's where we're going to be. And he was totally right about that. Yeah. Eventually, you know, you don't I don't think you get Nitro. You don't get, Mm. you know, you don't get the Attitude Era. You don't get any any of that. You don't get Pillman. You don't get Austin. You just get WWF having its way. And I I don't think I'm to the point I used to be like, well, they're sports entertainment because they say they're sports entertainment. Number one, I don't know sports entertainment is a thing or if it's just words that they made up. Um, (laughs) But like who 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 for the most history, like how many fans do you think over the history of WWF, especially in this time? Said, you know, I, I want to watch a little sports entertainment today, so I'm gonna turn on <laughs> WWF. Or do they do they want to watch wrestling? So, if you're if you're something that's not wrestling, get get rid of the ring, like the Vince's, I think proposed at one point, and go see if you're good enough to do the thing you want to do. But you don't get to use pro wrestling and also be the other thing. And I think they're quite disgusting in their tries. And I think at one point I hated it, then I was okay with it, and now I'm coming back around to hating it again. <laughs> well, we're in an era where it's easy to hate, I think. Uh, there's some good stuff in here, but yeah, you can see them pissing away opportunity at times. And uh, and it does suck, you know? So I've always been curious, because I think in 93, Tito will be out, and he'll be in the uh, early ECW um, huh. group, and it's not really what it would be yet, but uh, he will have some appearance, some influence there, so... Yeah, I don't know. Like, there will definitely be cases where uh, the loss of these companies will be the gain of ECW, and they will go on a hell of a run before it's over. Absolutely. I will. They should have held on to Tito. Somebody should should have done something more with Tito. Yeah, absolutely. It's a guy who clearly in '93 had uh, more to give, and uh, it just didn't happen. I don't know. If, if it were today, this is what I love about today. If it were today, he'd definitely, like, have bookings all over the place, even if he wasn't signed to, like, a big company. So, you know, there, there's something to be said about uh, the modern environment. Yeah, somebody would have rewarded him, at least. He probably exactly. wouldn't have deserved it by the time he got it, but he would have deserved it <laughs> by the time he got it. It's possible. We live in a time, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Too Cold Scorpio has gotten some uh, really nice bookings and even at his age he is doing uh, some incredible things so you know there there are uh rewards out there for the talented and i appreciate that and absolutely apparently i said in my notes that bob backland i, I made a chris benoit reference here is bob backland he's got his own style and it's just like brute like i don't i don't know what it is about both of them like you wouldn't look at if you lined them up with like some of the wrestlers you wouldn't be like here are the two strongest people in the line, but if you let them just do what they do, they're just like brutes. You know, Backlund can throw you over with any part of his body, and you could be like two head shrinkers. <laughs> Bob Backlund is horse strong, absolutely. Yes. He is just uh, an unrealistically powerful man. I uh, I always kind of think of um, I don't know if you've seen him much, but if you've seen Cesaro, I definitely feel yeah. Uh, they have the same kind of like they're not. They don't have this Vince McMahon, like, super defined body, and yet they are stronger than every bodybuilder who ever lived. So I, I, I really enjoy guys like that. That's a good comparison. I like that. Mm, yeah. Uh, so this is a fun little match. Uh, it's not amazing, I don't think, but I think everyone involved looks good. Um, we've got, at the end, Tito uh, nearly wins with that forearm, which is nice to see. Not doing the bowl kind of, like, poke you in the neck nerve. I, mm. I prefer the forearm, personally. 
Um, the Head Shriekers uh, switched themselves, and they surprised Tito for the pin. So I thought this was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, it's also one where the single wrestlers make the most tags. So that was interesting. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. They have that tag strategy down. They were ready to be a full-on tag team. Uh, Tito and Backlund versus the Steiners. I would have watched it. Are you kidding? Did this ultimately turn to a DQ? Because I think the Steiners come out. I think, no, the Headshakers, they do pin Tito. But then right afterwards, the Steiners run down. Oh, no, you're right. They tattle. And it becomes yeah. a DQ, which is very lame. That was one of my least favorite uh, wrestling tropes. Tattling, you you just can't do it because then the question always is, why don't you do it every time? And it just opens up a can of worms. So oh, Yeah, well. not, if the wrestlers come out and do it too, like why don't you just have officials there all the time for it? Right, yes. If you're, I don't know. So I, I did not like that finish. God, do we see that again somewhere on this set? I don't know. I I watched this a bit ago, so we're going to have to go through the notes, but uh, same, yeah, that's, that's a bad ending. I do think we've seen it more in this era. I can't really pinpoint it, but mm. I just know when I, I can feel it because it takes a little bit out of my week when I see it. <laughs> that's uh, sad but true, yeah. It's just a lame, lame finish, so please never do it. Modern wrestling. Um, all right, we're gonna, we go on to one of my favorite pieces of this set, probably one of my pieces, uh, favorite pieces of the whole year. The continuing feud between Razor Ramon and the One Two Three Kid. He has successfully lured uh, the One Two Three Kid back with the offer of a big payday. He actually has a money sack at ringside, but he is also looking like he's finally going to commit that murder that he keeps talking about. <laughs> so I was very excited for this one right off the bat. By the time we finish the show, I will be wondering out loud if Razor is the MVP of '93 right now. Oh, there's a strong chance. I think he's right up there. I don't know who else, like the Steiners maybe, but uh, I don't know. Razor, I think, may have the edge. This is such a – he made this out of nothing. You know, he yeah. took the lightning kid. He turned him into the one, two, three kid. He embarrassed himself, which got the kid over. It got Razor over. Now we got the $10,000 gimmick. So it's just like this is a man to me that never runs out. He's got a bag of tricks and he never runs out, and more times than not, his finger is right on the pulse of what will work. Absolutely, and, you know, there are probably a few other people who could have made this work, but there's a lot of people who I think definitely could never have made it work this well. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of the guy, but I don't, I don't think Shawn Michaels at this point could have pulled it over, and, you know, we always talk about how great he is, so Razor Ramon, he's just on a special level right here. He's ahead of the pack. Yeah, and even that is... Whether who could or couldn't, like who did and who didn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. only Razor did. And part of that, I think, goes back to the attitude of Scott Hall, which Scott Hall was never afraid to lose, was never afraid to put people over. In fact, like he understood the value, not just for the other person, but for himself. Mm, yes. Yeah. That's really smart guy. And it's funny because in the click, it's always like, oh, well, they wouldn't put people over. And I, I don't know. Maybe there are situations where that's true of Scott Hall. It wouldn't surprise me. But God, like. I think of anybody in the clique, like, here's a guy who understood the value of putting another person over, and we know they're close with Waltman anyway, so, like, there's a caveat, I guess, but definitely Razor Ramon, he knew what he was doing, we've talked about that before, the wrestling brain of Scott Hall is tremendously impressive. Yeah, I think if the rest of them could have stood, stood to put people over a little more, I think Razor could have put Razor over a little more. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen to that. I wish that could have happened. So, 
I think I told the story like when he left the WWF, like he wanted to stay. So he went to Vince. Is like I feel like I plateaued. I want more money. If that means more push, if that means X, Y, Z. And Vince McMahon had someone go get a box and pour out all these letters. And like, these are all the letters that people send. They love you. And the thing that I never thought about, because I was thinking about the absurdity of that story, uh, <laughs> the fact that fans still loved him and wrote letters at that point in his career, my God, what would he have done if they didn't let him get to where he ultimately got before he left and they just pushed him a while ago? Do they really drop his push off? I don't really know that period as well. I don't know if they dropped it off, but it's it's like mm-hmm. if he's going to win his IC title, for example, in what, 94? Yeah. And he's going to leave in 96. And he's not going to do anything more greater than he's done in early 94 for the rest of his career, I don't think. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. He just uh, he's going to be in the same place basically where he is now when he leaves. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, who can blame those fans, though? Like, if I were a letter-writing kid, I'd probably write to Razor and be like, you are the coolest man, so. (laughs) When we get to the end of the show, like, right now he is a heel about to lose his money. By the time we're at one of the biggest ovations of the night or of the show is going to be in his matchup with uh, Blake Beverly. Oh, absolutely. Um who <laughs> who would have guessed these uh, opponents who never have properly feuded, but Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect, like they, they will be the crowning popularity champions of the WWF. Yeah, it's wild. And they come from the same school. They know each other. They got the same style. So mm. there's something the fans are reaching out for. And again, yeah, this is just a master class here because – Razor doing this for the kid and really putting him on the map for the rest of his career. Yeah. You know, and he's not going to lose a step. In fact, he's going to gain. So it's a lot to be said. The kid really, he'll do a lot of cool things, but like you don't get this opportunity. You don't make the money you made uh, in the wrestling business. So this is that that $10,000 is nothing compared to what Razor really did for the kid. (laughs) I'm sure he made a lot more based on uh, this showing over time. So, um, Man, this is great fun, I think. The kid, and I want to give all credit to Sean Waltman as well, because I think if you're not as good as Waltman, then you end up Barry Horowitz, and you kind of just like fall back to nothing afterwards. But uh, he made a whole career out of this, and, and he deserved it. Um, he will surprise Razor at the start. He will almost get another win immediately. Uh, he is all speed. He is all kicks. He's doing these things, which nobody expects uh, until... Razor Ramon catches him and finally just dumps him. And I love that psychology where the little guy can go and go and go and go until he gets hit and then he goes down hard. So there's some great psychology in this match, and I use that in the most uh, praiseworthy way possible. Absolutely. What are, what are the, what, I don't keep up with modern wrestling, so what, what are the negative ways to say that there's psychology in a wrestling match? Oh, probably the whole, like, you know, oh, I got to look at my hands and, oh, uh, this I'm so violent. How can I do this to another person? Uh, and just like that kind of quote unquote storytelling is very sickening yeah. to me. So I'll just throw that out there. That's to me, that's bad acting or something else. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <how to> work. <laughs> um, is that the choke slam where he hits him? Because I know there's a choke slam that I don't know if it's Bobby Heaney or someone's like, well, he broke his back. I think it's something else. In my notes, it just says he catches him and dumps him. And I have okay. a, a memory of him uh, 
It's like catching a move and slamming him down, but he does a, a an amazing choke slam as well. Yes. So we got to praise both Razor for the offense and and Kid for the bumps because they work together beautifully. And for those that watch the GWF, like this is the Lightning Kid. This is not. He doesn't look a bit like Six or X Pac right now. This is mm. like it's almost like a different person. It's, it's the first run, as you said. If he didn't do so well, it would not have gotten over. So this is a big moment. Yeah, I praise whoever. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I say I praise whoever booked this because mm-hmm. how it ends up coming out is not, it's not what I expected to happen in this match. <laughs> it's one of those curiosities where, like, so many things in 93 are not booked well, but occasionally you'll come across something which is booked uh, excellently. So you got to ask, like, who who did what? Uh, we won't really yeah. know because Pritchard won't tell you the truth. So, you know. I'm... Yeah, so... Uh, this is just a, a really fun match where Razor's kind of losing it, even though he's like taking this authoritative stance, like, you know, put the money just to get my hands on you. We know he's kind of off balance and the kid knows it. So kid's getting whooped a little bit once Razor gets his hands on. So, hey, oh, yeah. it's $10,000. He just grabs the money and runs. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, they have a number of good spots. Do check out this match if you've never seen it. It's super fun. But... Um, kid does take the money in the end and he just bails out of the match. And by God, can you blame him? This little guy, you know, he was going to die. Like there was bare concrete involved razor. I'll just say this razor was not really trying to win this match. He was trying to kill this kid for real. I think like he's going to do the razor's edge on the concrete. Um, oh my God. So he takes that money. He runs out. Razor chases him. Uh, it's a double count out, and I love this because the kid, he jumps in a car that's waiting for him, and he's gone. So here's a guy, he got one over on Razor Ramon. He did what he said he would do. He showed up for the match, he got the money, and now he is out of there. So very, very great storytelling here. That's a really good point about Razor not trying to win the match. And for like a second, you had me thinking, well, I guess Razor, maybe Razor betrayed the pack. The kid's not necessarily stealing the money, but, like, then I remembered, as you said, before the match, it's not an era of, like, text messaging, we'll say. Like, there's a car already waiting for the kid for when he runs away with the money. <laughs> yeah, he, he knew how this uh, would probably turn out, so he is prepared, and I applaud that preparation. The same razor that is great enough to know to put the kid over and that it will work. When you see him after the match, Vince McMahon's taunting him. He doesn't just immediately respond. He lets the taunt sit. He stands back and lets the crowd react. Like He is always so aware of what he's trying to do and what needs to happen in the moment. Yeah, and we've talked about that many times dating back to WCW, the Legacy Series. That ability to leave room for the crowd to act and interact and react, that is so important to getting over. And there's a great understanding of that here. Yeah, this might be... If Razor has a potential MVP of 93, this is a potential feud of the year. So oh, yeah. Razor popping up in all the best categories right now. Absolutely. Like he is just, um, uh, he is one of my favorites, you know, and uh, I think that will continue to be borne out as we go across the years here because he is just too good. We keep getting Hasbro commercials, and even though I had these figures, we had not had these conversations. So it just hit me as I was watching that. Even the Randy Savage Hasbro figure now has like is fully clothed with a jacket and a hat and, and a shirt. So <laughs> they really want you to sit him down at your little commentary table. Yes. They don't want you to put him in the ring. <laughs> God, that's a shame. <laughs> it is, you know. This unfortunately what 
when we were in uh, 86, 87, and he was like too fired up to hardly even wear clothes, they would just burn off. Now, mm. we said when he gets more covered up, the more he's covered up, the more they'll cover that fire. And that's definitely true now, I'm, I'm sad to say. It is. It's another uh, miscalculation by the promotion that never makes bad decisions. <laughs> Uh, it's just wild. Like someday we'll get tired of like having this conversation, but the same promotion that can book Razor and one, two, three kids so well. And it just occurred to me, like there's a very good chance Razor just booked that himself and pitched it and it got the yeah. stamp. So that might explain it, but still the same promotion that can do that is also like, we don't need Randy Savage, you know, throw him in the garbage bin. So it's just wild to think about. It is. Especially since they were in a feud like six months ago or eight months ago or whatever. Yeah, and they never even hashed it out. Like, we had to dig down for, like, a special unreleased match to even, like, see anything between these two guys. So, what a waste. Yes. Uh, oh, well. <clears throat> uh, so, we're going to move along. And here's a little dream match for you, perhaps. Uh, I didn't know this happened. I was very pleased to find it. Uh, once again on WWF Mania, which is becoming a, a minor treasure trove of unseen matches, we have Owen Hart taking on the narcissist Lex Luger in what has got to be one of the very final narcissist uh, matches. So just on paper, this one jumped out to me. I knew it was probably only going to go so long, but man, I really wanted to check this one out. Yeah, it's, it's another one where it's June 26th. Luger's going to turn on July 4th, and he's full guest on Narcissist Heel here. So <laughs> it's a strange time that we're in, and I will have a lot to say once we get to the kind of turn. But oh, yeah. I like I like this match. I think I do remember this matchup. I, I may have saw it when it happened because we definitely watched Armenia. Oh, um, very nice. But, you know, it's just they, they, they remain in my mind, Owen and Luger. So I know that they have that, and then they will also feud later. Uh, in Luger's run where Owen and Yoko will get the best of the Bulldog and Luger. So, you know, it also has some history uh, with it. Absolutely. But, yeah, these two guys who will spend uh, an um, extremely long time in their other roles. And uh, here we get to see the the reverse, the babyface Owen against the heel Luger. So that's interesting as well. Yeah, Luger's running his mouth. Owen, they, they exchange uh, lockups and Luger goes to the ropes. He sighs and rolls his eyes again where it's just like he's not here for the wrestling aspect. And, you know, he can't be bothered uh, to have these experiences. He plays it up extremely well. I don't know if that's uh, slightly a shoot because he'd rather be bodybuilding. But, um, <laughs> you know, he is so good in this role, though. At the At the start before the match, I think. Uh, he's doing his posing and the referee comes over and he just yells, what is so important that you have to interrupt my posing? Yes. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, people act like he can't do anything, but my goodness. Yeah. Well, um, next week we're going to bring everyone to task. Uh, it sounds like if Mystic can put himself through the pain of all these uh, shoot interviews. Yes. So. <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon. There's no Jerry Lawler. There's no Bobby Heenan. So Gorilla Monsoon says, Oh, and working the wrong arm, but when you're one of 13, that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Monsoon um, is a little off the uh, off the reservation here, so to speak. He says before this match that Lex Luger is clumsy for having a motorcycle accident, and I am like, whoa, whoa, let's <laughs> yeah, dial it back here, my friend. Oh, my gosh. We can't help it if the guy's clumsy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big statement. 
Oh man, they were. It shows you what might have happened, I guess, if you hadn't turned the guy baby face, because they always got to find some way to like make it your fault. So if if we're talking about Lex Luger, the clumsy narcissist, I don't need to see that timeline play out. Oh yeah, he hasn't even had his push yet. Now they're gonna start the comedic part of it. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so this is a short match, but I think it's a very fun one. Uh, you get a lot of nice stooging from Luger, who who works very well with Owen, I think. And Owen, as we've said, as a babyface, is so damn quick and so fun to watch. Like, he had a lot to offer in that role that he's rarely going to be able to show off here. Yeah. Owen, to me, is just an instant pro from the day that he steps in there. Mm. Um, really good at what he does. It's also the man who... I thought was going to challenge Bret Hart versus the man who actually does. So there's so much uh, history with these two, even though you wouldn't know it when you're watching Narcissist versus uh, Rocket. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. There's a lot going on here. Uh, Louis does get that win. He uses the uh, steel plate, as you might expect. He uses it one last time nefariously. And uh, does this just kind of drop out of the conversation when he turns face, or do they still talk about it at all? Well, it's going to be the forearm that's going to put Yokozuna from the ring to the, to the ropes out, to right, the floor. Right, you got it. Which is another, like, so he cheats against Yoko and screws <laughs> himself as the as the USA babyface. Yeah, there's a lot of problems. We're going to dissect every bit of that, I'm sure, when we get her over next uh, in two weeks. So. Yeah, so Ooh, they stay boy. with it <laughs> in right. their own way. <laughs> so here it is. The July 5th episode of Raw, we're going to cover the whole thing because this is this is the big one. This is the time when uh, Yokozuna will challenge uh, everybody on Earth to slam him on the deck of the Intrepid. And it's funny because I remember I heard about this for years before I actually saw it, for years and years, and I never could quite picture it on my mind. Uh, so it's like they just have like a wrestling ring on the deck of a ship, which is fine, but I don't. somehow I always like... The way they always said it, on the deck of the Intrepid, I thought he got, like, slammed on the, the metal of the boat mm. or something. It's just like, they always say it like that. He was slammed on the deck of the Intrepid. So, man, we're going to get into this very famous segment here. It's going to be a lot of, well, I'm going to say a lot of fun, because I thought it was, but we'll see what the Mystic thinks. Yeah, a lot of little details, too, because apparently that ring on the Intrepid was scorching, scorching hot, and Yokozuna does not wear boots. So oh. I think I think he told Mr. Fuji to get whatever shoes he wears or slippers or flip flops. And I think Fuji perfect per, um, kept them from him. So Yokozuna <laughs> is out there barefoot in a burning ring. Man, he should have sat on Fuji. Yeah, so I'll say that. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's what I would have done. I'm not going to burn my feet for this stupid. little. OK, all right. That's interesting. To be fair, I think Fuji has done a lot for Yoko as well along the way, but we'll, we'll leave that there. All right, we'll give him some uh, some phantom credits then, but still, that ain't the way. Don't don't make your man burn his feet. That's not yeah. right. Get the we'll come back to the least. ring again. So <laughs> there are lots of ring uh, commentary later, but is this your first time seeing this thing through? Uh, second, I watched it, of course, for the, uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, series yeah. I, I did that is now defunct, I think, but still some good stuff there. What did you think originally? Because I saw this as a kid. So like, to me, when you're a kid and it's like, there are football players and baseball players, by God, 
This is a big deal. Well, I'll tell you this. Until the wrestlers get in, my notes just say we see footage of various sports celebrities trying to slam Yokozuna. So I think until the wrestlers got involved, I was not really paying that close attention. But um, I really enjoyed the fact that this is like a whole thing. It's not just, um, you know, I I was afraid they would just skip to like a clip of Luger. But no, this is like a whole production. And I really actually enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It's the Mania crew, so Savage and Todd Pettengill are covering it. Like uh, Miss Van says, lots of athletes. I'm surprised that Vince would let so many baby faces go out there and not be able to do it. But, you know, I guess props to him for at least doing that. Yeah, once in a while, he'll give a heel a, a worthy push. And Yokozuna, for a while now, will get one. Um, so, yeah, we got uh, Bob Backlund, who tries, and he has to pretend like he couldn't do it. I think we know he can. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Scott Steiner the same. He comes out and he slaps Yokozuna first, but supposedly he can't lift him. So um, I love Luger, but I'm pretty sure Backlund and Steiner could probably uh, outbench him by like two to one. So I don't know about that. <laughs> and it's before I think Fuji feeds Yoko more food. So right, yes, you know, Fuji will be feeding Yokozuna, I guess, to increase his weight as this goes along. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works, but uh, you know. <laughs> That's Fuji with the food. He has some mustard just in case. So. Oh, God. Tatanka comes out, and Tatanka's a complete bad sport for this whole thing. Yes, he has to do his dance, and then he's just, like, chopping Yokozuna in the face. And my note says, learn how to slam, you dummy. <laughs> yep. He still can't get it done, even after he works over Yoko, so... And Yokozuna and rightfully up. beats up the man who did not uh, follow the rules and also failed, so good for yeah. you, Yokozuna. Very good. It's a slam contest. I thought we made that clear a while back. Right. Crush understands the rules. He, he actually lifts Yokozuna up, but he hurts his back. He cannot complete the slam, so... Sorry, Crush. The story of your career coming up short. I will have some crush commentary before the show's over. Oh yeah, um, we got we got some stuff going on there, so that'll be interesting. Because you ask yourself, clearly, the greatest push of all time, if you if you listen to anybody in the business, was the body slam and the Lex Express. So, <laughs> how will they follow that up? Is Luger going to take Yoko out on Raw? Is he going to challenge him and Yoko back down? We will find out when we get a little later in the show what Luger does to follow this up. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the oh. contest continues. Savage, as you said, is the host, but he wants to try anyway. He succeeds in spitting on Yokozuna, but he oh. cannot slam him. So some more bad sportsmanship. Man, if I were Yokozuna and Fuji, I'd be like, seriously, let's go back to Japan. Everyone here is a jerk. So. <laughs> but they knew they had lost at this point. Like I said, it's a big deal in the WWF when all your baby faces come out on July 4th and then they fail to get the job done. Yeah, true, true. If, if we came at this in the wrong era, every single one of these guys would have succeeded. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's over. Todd Pettingill thanks the fans, says give us a round of applause for the competition. All of a sudden, there's a helicopter. My goodness, who could it be? Is it the Hulkster returned from King of the Ring? <laughs> Did they suggest that? Because that's in my notes, too. But surely they didn't say that did they say that no they didn't say that okay all right if you lived at this time that's the only thing you could have thought it was yeah there's some kind of weird vibe that it would be hogan absolutely um 
which makes me even think, like, I wonder if they penciled this in for him at one point, like if they could have worked something out, but it is not to be. And uh, personally, I'm much happier with what we got here. I don't need the bones to parachute in and then be here again. I don't think Hogan could lift his own leg at this point. So, <laughs> I was, yeah, I don't know if he could have got the job done. So we'll leave Hulk Hogan off in uh, Thunder in Paradise or wherever he's at. Indeed. So it's Lex Luger, the man, the narcissist that we just covered, who knocked Owen Hart out. Uh, he is in his red, white, and blue T-shirt. He's in jeans and cowboy boots, which we'll talk about his boots in a little bit. He <laughs> walks to the ring. Uh, Bobby Heenan gets in front of him and tries to stop him. Mm. Lex Luger shoves him off, and off we go. Yeah, what an incredible bit this is. I'll say whatever you want to say about what happened later, and there's plenty to say, but this, like... Man, this fired me up just watching it. I even knew it was going to happen. And Lex Luger shows up wearing a goddamn American flag on his body. He's proud of America, not just of his looks. The bit with Bobby Heenan is amazing because Bobby Heenan has been supporting this man. He brought him in. He's been praising him. Now he's suddenly going against kind of the, the script, like their unspoken agreement, and Luger will just push him aside. So... Man, this was dramatic as hell. I think this is a great way to start, no matter what happened later. Yeah, I probably watched this 75,000 times as a kid, <laughs> even before SummerSlam. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that. You taped that on a VHS? Is that what happened? Yeah, we taped oh, almost everything. That's beautiful. No, I, I was the same. I love that. I think those VHS tapes maybe covered, EP covered like six hours, I want to say. I think I had yep. four Lex Luger tapes just from like... So, yeah. Oh, that is spectacular. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love those VHS tapes. I had plenty of my own. I love it. It's awesome. This is, again, my favorite Lex Luger is a babyface Luger, and this is all Rise. So once Luger shoves him off, Luger standing on the apron. We'll see that again at the contract signing, kind of staring down Yokozuna. Um, he is going to give a speech. He's going to talk down to Yokozuna and Fuji and call them blood-sucking leeches. And Mr. Fuji, of course, is not going to back down because, by God, he's Fuji. Luger, uh, Fuji spits on Luger as if he's spitting on America. My God, it's getting serious, Miz fan. <laughs> it's great. Luger says he's had an itch since the king of the ring. And, man, if I if I had to draw with Tatanka in 15 minutes, I probably would have an itch as well to do something <laughs> else with my life. So, <laughs> Well said. Uh, I, I've always loved the sequence of the – the uh, the running at him, the miss, the forearm, and here comes Yokozuna running at Luger. He takes flight, the hip toss, the body slam, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Lex Luger gets the job done. The first folks in, it's the Steiner brothers. It's a WCW reunion. Randy Savage is hyping the crowd. Lex Luger is jumping all over the place. By God, after Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger has come down from the helicopter and got it done. Mm, absolutely. It's a wonderful beginning. If you just look at this, you can understand why they were thinking, hey, maybe this guy could be our, our next Hulk Hogan. Uh, the crowd is nuts for it. The presentation is great. It just comes off so, so damn well. Uh, it's wonderful stuff. So I, I really got to praise this here. Yeah, and a big shout out to Yoko because... Luger has said, apparently you should not wear cowboy boots in the ring because um, apparently it's like ice skating when you do so. Yeah. So Hulk Hogan wore cowboy boots when he came out 
at Bash at the Beach to join the Outsiders. And one of my favorite little moments in the history of wrestling was ruined for me because he comes down, Dusty Rose, Tony, Bobby, they all go off. He stands in a ring. He pushes the referee aside, and then he puts his hand on the top rope and pauses for a moment, and then he comes out of it and leg drops Randy Savage. And, like, that little moment where he holds the top rope, it's almost like he's having that last thought, and then he does the thing that nobody thought he would do. In reality, he's wearing cowboy boots, and he was scared to death he was going to fall down while he tried to, like, betray WCW (laughs) and do this whole big heel turn. So Lex Luger's wearing cowboy boots, and apparently he's just skating all over the ring. He tells Yoko, like, I can't do this, and Yoko pretty much, you know, does the thing for him. So, you know, (laughs) imagine being Hogan in that moment or Luger in this moment where the whole company is riding on what you're doing, and you come out in cowboy boots, and you just fall down in your attempt. Well, I think you're pretty freaking dumb, I guess, if you're wearing cowboy boots, and this is a known problem. But uh, um, I'll just say, like, none of that came across to me in the segment. So they pulled it off spectacularly. I I can't fault a single thing they did. Yeah, you wouldn't know if you didn't hear about it. Right, yeah. Apparently, I can't remember who the man is that flew the helicopter, but Luger, was he was, like, flying it wildly trying to show off and, like, show what he could do. And so, and Luger, I think, was kind of getting sick. So that was also <laughs> happening at this time. <laughs> Poor Lex, man. Nothing went right. The cowboy boots and the helicopter pilot, and uh, he's going to have to be on that bus. And yeah. SummerSlam. And poor guy, man. He's going to have more problems than he deserves. Here's the big thing after this glorious moment in wrestling history, and I will give WWF that. I will give Yoko that. I will give Luger that. Almost all of Luger's world title babyface run happens off screen. And we're supposed to believe that this is like the greatest push of all time. When we get to the contract signing, I will have a lot to say about the fact that in an arena where nobody gets that good of an ovation, Luger gets a pretty decent ovation. And the more he talks, it gets louder and louder and louder. So when he's out there and doing his thing, He's gaining popularity, but instead of having him on screen, we're going to have him off screen, like visiting pockets of fans in different places and somehow think that not only that's preferable, but it's the best push that's ever been given. Like (laughs) when you watch a presidential um, election, these people are all over the country. But how is it that when you have the three major debates like usually so whoever's in second, if they win the debate is in first for a little while, because like the national televised show swings the whole thing and it might come back and it might not, but it swings the whole thing. But nobody ever says like, well, um, so-and-so was up four points, but, uh, so-and-so went into a little cafe in Iowa and people didn't like what he said in Iowa in that little cafe. You know, so instead of giving Luger the, the, the presidential treatment, we give him the Iowa Cafe and we call it the greatest push of all time. Yet when you watch what he does when he's televised, he's gaining more in those moments than in these weird little pockets at Toys R Us, you know, signing autographs for 35 people. So I don't know. There's uh, your preview of next week's show, I believe. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot to be said against. Uh, the Lex Express, and uh, I'm sure we will say it in time. Um, so there's going to be a lot of mistakes on this road, but uh, at least we have the deck of the Intrepid. Nobody can take that away from us. Yeah, and the reason I say it here is because 
you know, you just launched the narcissist to the All-American and apparently he challenged off screen kind of challenge for the belt. And instead of us like that being a moment, we're just going to pass that over. And I guess Vince McMahon will stand in for Lex Luger later in the show. Mm. Yeah, 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 that's true, too. So I don't know some strangeness going on. I will say this. Hogan at his peak probably would have made it work. So I don't know if they thought they were dealing with the same kind of guy who could just make anything work. I don't know. It's clearly a mistake. If so, like, why wouldn't you put your best foot forward? But, um, I don't know. Yeah. They, they clearly had the wrong idea at some point here and then they just ran with the wrong way. So we go from that. That's just footage at the start of the show. And then we're in raw, right? Yep. Yep. Then we're into raw. We start off with, uh, (laughs) a match that I actually really enjoyed as well as part of the same storyline that we've been talking about, which is great. It is the one, two, three kid taking on Blake Beverly, AKA Mike Enos, who is getting uh, quite a, quite a unearthing, I think in some of these matches that we found for him here. Yeah. He's damn good at what he does. Very good. And never, ever gets any conversation. So he is entirely uh, beneath the earth. We are digging him up a little bit and uh, deservedly. So I think, this is such an opportunity for him. That's not an op- storyline. It's not an opportunity because somebody besides Razor has to start losing to this guy. Absolutely. So um, it's a great opportunity that will come to nothing despite his good performance. Uh, he'll be gone, I think, in a, a month or less. So that, that's too bad. But um, uh, so, yeah, we go into this match and uh, Sean Walton, man, he's great. I'll just say right up. I got to praise him again because I feel like he is doing stuff that nobody else in the WWF is doing or has done up to this point. I got to praise him tremendously for what he brought to the table here. Yeah, that toss up into a standing drop kick in the, from, the, from the ceiling down. Mm, yes, yes, so good. Like, this is a guy who is paving a way, like, in real time for so many guys who will come after him. Um, you know, I won't say he's the first, like, light heavyweight to, to make waves, but man... He's carving out a new path, I think, and that deserves that's hard to do. So I praise him a lot for what he did here. Yeah, in the WWF at this time as well, it's it's damn near impossible to do. Yeah, I mean with his body type, like Yeah. I'm amazed this man let him get on screen, to be honest. You know, maybe that's he's distracted by the trial, so he let this skinny little guy come on screen by accident. But hey, that's an accident in our favor. That's good stuff. Yeah, in the booth they say that one, two, three kid looks like Todd Pettingale. Who? That punk from Mania. <laughs> oh, that is not untrue. I don't know. <laughs> I can't <laughs> process that. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. Um, so there's some super fun stuff in here. Blake suplexes Waltman into the top turnbuckle mm. and then, like, throws him out on the floor crazily. And it's just these amazing bumps by Waltman and this great offense by Enos. So... Man, this match is super fun. I would recommend this to anybody. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the kid will win it with an Alabama jam to a face down uh, Blake Beverly. Ah, yes. Beautiful Alabama jam reference, by the way. Yes. Um, Yeah, that leg drop on the back of Blake's head. He will get the win, so it is not just a fluke. One, two, three kid has a second victory on Raw, and his career is off and running. Absolutely. We follow this up. We have a match. Uh, that I don't really have any notes on. It's Bam Bam Bigelow against Joey Mags. So there's a Joey Mags cameo 
that we have been uh, mentioning this guy. Uh, Bigelow continues to underwhelm a bit. So sorry, Ooh. BK. I know you stuck up from a bit. Maybe you will convince me, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, it's not happening right now for me. And I'm not anti-Bam Bam. I think I even liked him as a kid, but so far. You know, just I just... Hit. I just was talking about this in the forum, and, you know, this is a little while ago by the time this aired, but maybe we'll still be having this conversation. Bam Bam Bigelow is one of these guys who comes out, and he will make a great first impression because he's got the size, he's got the look, he's kind of got that reputation, you know, kind of in the back of your head, he can do a moonsault, he's got some agility, all this stuff in his favor. But Bam Bam Bigelow, this is my opinion, the more you watch him, the less you will think of him. So we'll see if that bears out, but that has always been my impression with Bam Bam Bigelow so far. Yeah, and I just, I don't know who he's supposed to be. He didn't get a world title or main event WrestleMania push, so we'll see if he's any different. But <laughs> it, to me, he has no personality. I don't know what his agenda is. He's just kind of there yeah. you know, doing, doing his thing. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a man who maybe needed a little more of a gimmick. I say that with fear that he would come out like as a construction worker or something, but <laughs> you know, something he needs, I think for sure. So, uh, we move along. We've got the undertaker who has kind of fallen off our series a little bit. He's, he's kind of not involved in the big things right now. He's just waiting around for giant Gonzalez. So, you know, it is what it is, but he's taking on Samu of the head shrinkers. Uh, the lights go out before this match. Heenan dives under the table, and Vince McMahon says someone is messing with his wallet. So go ahead and infer what you want from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a drop toe hold from The Undertaker. We do, yes. There's no urn, there's no Paul Bearer, but he's got a few uh, different moves to try out here. So um, I don't know if I need to see Undertaker doing a lot of drop toe holds, but, uh, you know, it's Agreed. nice to know he can, I suppose. I don't know. I think this Undertaker did not excite me as much, but I do like the storyline kind of that, you know, we're still wondering, is it his power? Is it Paul Bear? Is it the urn? So, you know, they're still trying to develop, I guess, the, the lore of the Undertaker. They are. And without Paul Bear or the urn, he will get the victory with the tombstone. So clearly uh, the zombie has something in his uh, back pocket here. We had, I think, earlier, the Men on a Mission also had a clip, so they are now yes. with us as well. Yes, and I I enjoy Men on a Mission. I'll just say that flat out, despite the um, damage to my credibility, perhaps. So we will <laughs> see how they do when they come in, but I'm looking forward to them, actually. Yeah, I believe they, they will join Randy Savage to rap about Lex Luger and America and, and just more wasted capital from that awful Lex Luger. <laughs> Oh, my. I, I, I will detour us just briefly here. Um, in our, uh, as everybody knows, uh, our, our posting and our recording is a little bit off sync, and that, that should be fixed um, as of next show. We should be able to sync everything up. But right now, um, the road to WrestleMania is about to air, and I put out some stuff about it, you know, on Twitter and such, and, man, I get so many responses, like more than maybe ever I get, of people just saying, wow, you have to cover WrestleMania 9. That's like the worst show mm. in all of history. And that wasn't really our feeling, you know. Mm. Clearly it had some big problems, but it just kind of cements to me what a poor opinion people have of this era and how enduring that is. And, you know, fair in some ways and maybe not fair in others. But, man, I've never, uh, you know, we covered Russo's, WCW, and I don't think I heard half as many, like, complaints about, um, mm. you know, like, oh, wow, sorry you guys have to cover that. So it's just interesting to point that out. 
It could be I, in in life now. I've watched WrestleMania nine five times at least, maybe because <laughs> I didn't know it was supposed to be bad when I was young, you know. And Luger, sure, sure. Luger knocks Mister Perfect out, so I'm, I wasn't mad at that. So, and I, I'm still I could watch it tomorrow. And like you said, there's things that could have been done different differently, obviously. But I like the setting, I like the vibe, I like a couple of matches. So, you know, it didn't it didn't hurt me to watch it. Right? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot worse. You know, like don't. Yeah. Don't strap me down and make me watch that tag title match again. That's just cruel. But yes. uh, besides that, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I've definitely seen worse shows. Like, it's a weak mania, I think, compared to others. But uh, I don't know. It's interesting, though. There's really a narrative, a strong one out there, that this is, like, the worst show. Uh, maybe the worst WrestleMania, I think people would say, and I would not really agree with that. And, We'll cover worse shows probably but in the, you know, sooner rather than later. <laughs> you got so. that right. Oh, my goodness. I love yeah. that, though. That's a great story because we yeah. got our ideas and then we got reality, and I don't know if they're always the same. And <laughs> It's half narrative and half just the fact that I think you and I maybe see things differently sometimes than others, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's life. That's just how it goes. You got to take it for what it is, you know. Yeah. It's just a different, it's a different, it's a different one. You yeah, know? for sure. I mean, I don't doubt that some people just sincerely despise WrestleMania 9, but I think there is also an aspect of narrative. Like, you get told a lot that it's the worst. You know, oh, it's the worst. You know, I guess that's true. So, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if it's the worst. We got some, <laughs> we got some challengers coming. Uh, I don't know. I, I have fear of 11. I've never seen 11, yes. but uh, I got a greater fear of that than I do of 9. So... I don't know if I've ever watched 11 through, but I know for a fact that I hated WWF and I am a felt sense person. So energy is the first thing for me and just the energy of that era. Like I could not, I couldn't find a way in with it. Mm. Whereas like nine, I like the setting and the vibe if I don't like anything else, but right. There's something going on there at least. Um, we'll see. It's I, a think the, football. I think the only match of nine of 11 that I've seen is Michaels and Diesel, and that's supposed to be like the saving grace. And man, I thought that stunk actually. So we we'll got see Brett if I feel the same. Right? What's that? I think we got Brett and Backlund. Yeah, I've never seen that. It has a bad, bad reputation. So I, I want to wow. see what that means. Like, I don't know what that's about. So we'll see. Because I'm trying to think of why it wouldn't be worse than nine to most people. And I would think it have to be one of those two matches or both of them. I want to say it's probably the Michaels effect. Cause it's funny because also what I heard is like, oh, wow, the only good thing on nine is Michaels and Tatanka. And I'm like, man, that is also not my feeling at all. Mm. Like, that yeah. was kind of a, that was an eh match to me. So That one was better than I thought, but I didn't have high hopes for it. So <laughs> I like the Steiners a lot on that. I like Blue yes. Green Perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I can't remember what else, but, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> that might be it, but that's more than most people would give it, I think. But uh, Yeah. All right, all right, moving on. Um, I think the only other thing on this row, we have Perfect uh, doing a squash, which is always fun. He's still uh, considerably over, which I appreciate. So uh, anything else on that raw in your notes that I missed? Is this Vince Man with Yoko? Is it? I don't have that in my notes. I don't know if I uh, – I think – that might be later, but if you got something you want to talk about, it, we can talk about it. Oh, is it just an isolated segment from a future Raw? Because the next thing I have after Undertaker is Vincent Man with Yoko. You know, I probably just left that off my notes, so why don't you tell us about that? I'll recall it off the top of my head. Okay, so Vincent Man is with Yoko Zuna. This is, again, coming off of the big body slam. 
I think Fuji might even be protesting the steel plate, which is now turns out to be a hollow complaint from a heel. Um, a big pop for, I think, Vince saying that your your celebration was spoiled by Lex Luger. Yoko's starting to get a really mean look as Vince antagonizes him. Um, Fuji, I think, was explains that the slam was a hip toss, so the thing doesn't count. Yes. Uh, he took advantage of, my, of my Yokozuna. Uh, and then they go on to say they will not give Lex Luger a chance, but they'll challenge anyone in the WWF, which is a little bit confusing. Uh, and then Crush comes out, so... Again, uh, yes, yes. before we get to that, like we did the whole Lex Luger not getting a shot thing without Lex Luger involved in a, as a like side product of an interview with Vince McMahon, and then we immediately bring out a new challenger. <laughs> well, you got to bridge the gap, I guess. I don't necessarily mind the way they did this because they will kind of kind of make it work in the long run. But um, yeah, it, it is a bit confusing the road they take here. So Crush is you know taking advantage of the opportunity. Um, they uh, Fuji tells him that you're gonna lose face in Hawaii when you challenge Yokozuna. <laughs> we know that's important to Crush, so I understand he won't be able to walk into his uh, favorite tiki bar anymore. So. Got to walk those beaches and do promos. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so yeah, it is on uh, July 12th on Raw. The next week that we will see Yokozuna taking on Crush for that WWF championship. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some more connection between these two, if I'm not mistaken. I think this is maybe the start of that. So we're going to have to see how that comes out here. Yeah, they'll be in an alliance together. Yeah, Kona Crush, uh, right? Something... Or is that what he is now? I, don't, I, I think that's what he is now. now. He'll be whatever. He'll get a little little paint on half his face, and he'll be a little <laughs> slimmer. He'll get his hair cut, and he will be with Fuji and Yoko later. Yes, yes. I think this may lead to that somehow, so we'll see. Um, this is uh, it's not an amazing match, but I thought it was good at times. Um, I really love the way Yokozuna moves in this era. Yeah. I've mentioned that before, but i got to shout it out again, because this guy, like... Man, he's incredible at this time, and, you know, they say he will decline, and I haven't really seen that for myself, so we'll see. But, God, just in 93, you can hardly match up to Yokozuna, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yoko's amazing. I didn't enjoy the match that much. I know Randy Savage is, like, Crush's best friend, but I don't think he does him any favors by kind of lying about the the fan reception and Crush's (laughs) potential and all of this. I think he needs to calm it down a little bit. A little bit, perhaps. Um, so, yes, if you want to watch the match, maybe you'll enjoy it like I did. Maybe you will not like the Mystic. Uh, I take it from your text, maybe a little too much nerve hold in this one for you. Is that it? He just wouldn't let go of him. Like, every time I tried to watch the show, they were still in it. And, like, who am I to say, like, move on to Yokozuna? But, my God, <laughs> that nerve hold got him. I don't know. I just don't like Crush. I don't think Crush. That's fair. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a power guy. He looks like a... He kind of looks like a lazy guy that might not, that might not uh, handle his business. Like he, like he cuts grass for a living, but he doesn't show up when he's supposed to, or something. That's... <laughs> he's busy surfing. I get it. Yeah. For sure. You know, so if I, I just, could switch, I, I if I could switch, uh, Brian Clark and Brian Adams, if I could take Adam Bomb and put him in these spots, I think he would have done better. I don't know if that's uh, shared by anyone or not, but he was always a much more impressive power guy. He will get the much worse gimmick out of all this. Yeah. I came into this wanting Crush to be better than I thought because I always you know, do. Yeah, it's just it's not working. It's again, 
it's just something about this era that makes me sick and that he and he reminds me a part of it. <laughs> the colors definitely kind of scream mid nineties and maybe not in the best way. So yeah. Again, this is like hints of ECW having to come around just because. <laughs> it's great. I forget which show. One of those WCW pay-per-views in the early 90s where uh, I think Hack Guy was in the front row and they were just cheering all the heels and like rejecting all the faces. And like, yeah, it's right around this time. So, you know, something is needed. Someone is going to take advantage of this. The only person that acts like they know what's going on is Bobby Heenan, who keeps saying every time Yoko, like he'll, he'll continually bonsai drop. Uh, crush after the match, you know, keep saying that Lex Luger caused this. This is because of Lex Luger. This is because of what they did on the trap and trap. This is on Lex Luger, you know, so one person knows what's going on at the moment. Yep. Yep. Bobby Heenan on point as always. Uh, so crush is being crushed, uh, ironically by Yokozuna. <laughs> and that uh, is not Luger who helps him, but it is savage. And for some reason, Tatanka, who just can't keep his nose out of anyone's <laughs> business, I guess. Uh, they will rescue him. They will get him out of the ring. Savage will threaten Yokozuna with a chair. And maybe you would think, oh, they're going to have a title program. No, of course they're not. Savage, get the hell out of here. You can wrestle your friend like nine months later, but not yeah. Yokozuna. So here we go. Yeah. Savage just circles around. He's like a hype guy now for whoever's challenging for the belt. Oh. <laughs> it's like the Flava Flav of... Um... No, that's too far. I don't know that reference well enough. So we'll it's, too, it's, not, it's pretty accurate, and it's sad because <laughs> I don't I get the opinion that Savage there, so would care. Good. Like, Savage didn't really like his best friend, Hulk Hogan, so, like, why is he now, you know, hyping everybody who gets a shot? Like, Randy Savage would want Randy Savage to be the world champion. Oh, yes. I'll say um, uh, it's against the narrative, but thank God he went to WCW, so we'll just say that. Yeah. He, will, he will do such great stuff over there. I've had to remind myself several times, no, this is not the end of his career. He does not suck the rest of his life. He's actually going to be a multiple-time world champion and put Diamond Dallas Page on the map and, and uh, boost WCW sales with Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It does feel like, though, like he has to retire to an old folks' home any day. Yeah. Like he, <laughs> it's bad. I don't know what they're thinking. Just, Just stupid. Even when he gets out there with the chair, I feel like, sit down. Like, sit down and do your little job announcing. He's like, well, you're not a threat to anybody. He already beat you, you know. He threw you yeah. out of the rumble, so you're clearly not anything anymore. So don't worry about it. Oh, well. Um, we move along. We go to an episode of uh, Superstars, airing on July 17. And here we have uh, Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner taking on Money, Inc. And those tag team titles are on the line. And this is um, one of those weird periods where the tag titles keep switching on house shows. So you kind of have to catch up and figure out who the hell the tag team champions are every time. Yeah. This is a match where it starts with, like, lockups. And I think Scott Steiner puts a lot, puts in some kind of, let's just say an arm bar or something. And IRS goes through the rope to break the hold. And Vince McMahon says, not the most sportsmanlike thing to do. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you have the uh, highly interesting commentary team of Vince McMahon, Randy Savage, and Jerry Lawler here. And yeah. oh my God, I'm glad I didn't watch too many superstars from this because I don't think I want to hear this team talk too much. <laughs> yeah, this is a this WWF so loud right now. And Vince McMahon, mm. for the record, and this is what, why it pays off to try to be honest because 
I remember saying, I thought he sucked as an announcer. Mm. And then we watched the 80s, and I was like, I was wrong. Like, he's actually pretty good. He doesn't just scream, one, two, three, it's over, that's it, and what a maneuver. Well, now he's, he, he's that guy now. <laughs> so I was wrong again, right? Oh, I love that nuance. I love that honesty. Uh, yeah, Vince McMahon, all three of these guys, yeah, they really just have a tendency to, like, kind of blurt out loudly whatever they're thinking. <laughs> Uh, and it's not great. It doesn't make for great chemistry. Um, we do have Jerry Lawler making fun of Razor Ramon, so that pretty much cements the uh, face turn is about to happen. So there's your clue on that one. Absolutely. You know, once once that happens, and it's the right move, but we don't need Jerry Lawler to tell us that. Indeed not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Steiners are champions, I believe, having won the tag belts and lost them and won them again off screen already. So this is a weird, real back and forth uh, tag title situation here. Yeah. Money Inc.'s another one that just I'm so tired of seeing and I can't wait till they're done. Well, you're in luck because Ted DiBiase will be retired at SummerSlam. So it's probably it for Money Inc. here. This is one of the worst runs in the history of professional wrestling. I don't know what they were. They're just here to antagonize. And like these are like people who could be actual human beings. Instead, they're just, we want to make you mad because I am rich and I am a, I'm a tax man. I'm just so fucking tired of it. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's not exactly the same, but to me, it's the same energy as Bam Bam Bigelow in this time. Yes, On paper, yes. you want to be like, this looks good. And then you actually watch it and you're like, that wasn't good. <laughs> so there's a lot of that energy. And that, this is a hard thing to explain unless like this, this is how you experience the world. But it's, this is kind of what I felt during the Russo era where yeah. like, I just get so tired because like there's so much bad energy and you know, this is Ted DiBiase who with Andre, the giant took the belt from Hulk Hogan in one of the best eras of wrestling of all time. And this yeah. is, Mike Rotunda, who I enjoy and who I liked in the Varsity Club and who I would go watch do that in a minute. Mm. And my God, they got nothing to offer. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's a real decline for both guys. It's kind of shocking because um, certainly, yeah, I, uh, Rotunda had his good times and DiBiase, like, we praise higher than just about anyone in the series. So I don't know what happened to him. At some point, he just kind of fell off a cliff and he just is not what he was. So, uh you know, it's sad to see, but um, I don't know. Did you did you not like this match at all, or you just in general don't like money? I didn't watch. I skipped a lot because they wouldn't get started. So <laughs> that's fair. I actually did enjoy this match a lot. It's definitely on the Steiners, who I think um, are to me really cementing that they did have a great run in '93, even if maybe they had greater runs elsewhere. Um, you know, a lot of nice Steiner stuff in general. Uh, Scott does a bit with IRS's tie where he's like throwing him and pulling him around. That's nice. Um, the crowd is very into this, uh, towards the end, they get the hot tag and the crowd is just going bananas. So, uh, there's some good stuff in here. I think I tried to skip in, uh, until I saw like suplexes or slams. <laughs> you know? So there was a nice, there's a couple of those I saw that I liked. That's fair. Uh, what you won't like, I'm sure, is uh, Scott hits the Frankensteiner, which you do like, of course, for the IRS with his briefcase. Money, Inc. will win the titles back one final time. Don't worry, they will lose them uh, quickly, and we won't have to see them again. But, um, uh, oh, no, wait, they don't win the titles. This is the other time uh, that it happens because uh, another yes. ref runs down, and again, we get the tattling. So, again, the finish <laughs> is very lame. 
But I don't know if that's preferable to Money Inc. winning the tag titles again. I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> now it's hitting me that the top heel personality for all of 1994 is Ted DiBiase as well. Oh, that's right. Well, he's not going to have to wrestle, but maybe maybe his promos have declined as well. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. But I seen whatever vibe he has, add, Diesel, add Diesel's vibe to that, and that's what 94 is. Ooh, I didn't think about that. That's rough business. <laughs> okay, I don't know much about 94, so we're getting close to uh, an unknown scary territory. We'll see how it goes. Um, whew. All right, so we go to uh, the July 19th Raw, where we have uh, Money Inc. again. So sorry, they are making fun of Razor Ramon, and he comes out to confront them and to add some positive energy to their uh, perhaps negative energy. Yeah, he calls out the rich man, the tax man, and suggests, like, I work for you. No, no, no. You know who's going to win this. Like, Razor Ramon, who apparently has killed somebody somewhere, and then... uh, the guys who are fully dressed in their um, non-wrestling clothes because they're not really wrestlers anymore. <laughs> a fair point. Um, since Razor has lost to one, two, three kid, Teddy Biasi uh, says maybe you should have a job serving us. But Razor, indeed, he denies it. He shoves them around. Um, as a response to DBS, he gets mad and he demands to wrestle the one T three kid. He says he will beat him in 30 seconds and expose Razor Ramon as a pathetic loser. Mm. So I don't know. This gave me a good feeling of Ted here. I don't know about you, but I thought he did very well in this bit. So that gives me some hope. So they're going to SummerSlam, right? Uh, Razor and Ted are. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good pairing. And so we got to get Ted. We got the, once you turn him babyface, you got to get uh, Ramon away from that one, two, three kid stuff. He's almost got to redeem himself, I think. <laughs> yes, from uh, trying to commit a murder. Well, all you have to do is fight someone like Ted DiBiase, and you'll be you'll be a hero. So that's the rules of wrestling. This is one one more nice thing that DiBiase will do, and Razor hardly needs the help, but uh, he's been very good about putting people over, about turning people face. Let's not forget Hercules. And uh, and some others over the years. So one more time, he will uh, he will do a good turn for for an opponent. Yeah, I think his gimmick is made to turn other people. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, man. There's nothing more. Uh, you know, talk about low energy. Ted DiBiase as a babyface managing the Steiners in WCW. You know what, mm. what was the point of that? Um, no, DiBiase was made to be a heel, and uh, you know you gotta appreciate all those runs. I think. Yep. All right. We go to our next match, which is on uh, Wrestling Challenge from July 25th. And uh, by the way, if you don't have these links, uh, I will post them on Twitter. I'll pin them to my profile, and I'll also put them in our thread on LOPforums.com, where I hope you'll come check out, join the conversation. We have some great uh, conversations going on in there. Uh, the match is Owen Hart versus Jerry Lawler. Owen Hart, once again, uh, getting involved in his brother's business, uh, whether he likes it or not. So uh, I, I thought this was interesting. I've been the biggest fan of Jerry Lawler at times, but I do think there's some good stuff in this match. I don't know if you feel the same or not. It's a nice revisit to Razor again with Owen kind of being the, the go before to get to Bret Hart. <laughs> yes, a role he will get out of uh, in due time, fortunately. But uh, for now, that's kind of his job. So, um, 
<clears throat> Lawler before the match tells Owen he will walk away if he kisses his feet. Owen, of course, slaps him in the face. And I'll say this, Lawler gives him, like, a big reaction. I thought he did a good job with that, so I'll give him credit for that. Yeah. I wonder if any of these heels ever think that somebody's just going to go along with these ideas that they have. <laughs> I mean, DiBiase, he got some fans to do, like, kind of humiliating things. Yeah. So, you know, he set the tone, I guess. Not Owen, though. Not Owen. I want to say, oh, God, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I feel like DiBiase once did pay off a jobber to just, like, throw the match and leave. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe there's a precedent there as well. Um, this is also Jerry Lawler, who is mad, who is the king, mad at Bret Hart because he won the 1993 King of the Ring, taking it out on Owen Hart, who will be the 1994 King of the Ring. Ah, yes, yes. A lot of kings, past <laughs> and future involved here so that's some nice stuff um the match i think the match is pretty good actually for what it is lawler will try to draw owen into a punching match which lawler will always have the advantage in but uh owen kind of trips it up he hits that big drop kick and uh picks up an advantage as well on his part absolutely Jerry Lawler hugging the referee, hiding away, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they get some good heat for this. You know, they play it up very well, I think. Um, Owen uh, lays some offense down, which is always looking good. Uh, he hits a rocking uppercut. He hits a beautiful missile drop kick. He's just out here showing why he is so damn good. Maybe, don't tell Brett, but maybe a little better than a certain mm. uh, former champion. I don't know. I'm just going to throw it out there. We will find out in due time. We will. We will. <laughs> um, Owen will miss a charge and crack the post, and uh, Lawler will win with a pile driver and a handful of tights. So uh, after the match, Lawler will say it was actually easy. He will kick Owen in the head and said he should have kissed his feet after all. So there's some very fun stuff in this. I thought it was played off very well. Yeah. Brett could have come out and helped him, but he, you know, he probably wasn't in the building. <laughs> I think he uh, makes a point to uh, not be in the building when Owen's there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we're moving towards that. That'll be a lot of people think that that's the highlight of SummerSlam. So uh, we'll we'll get there when we get there in a few weeks, I think. Uh, Lawler and Brett. I yeah, I remember enjoying it. Uh, you got Brett and Doink before that. I, I remember enjoying that probably even more. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Sure. Uh, all right, we go to uh, the next week, again on Wrestling Challenge, August 1st, and it is the match that was mentioned on Raw. It is the 1-2-3 Kid against Ted DiBiase here. Yes. I'm trying to read some Bobby Heenan quotes, but I can't read what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunate. I'm sure there's some good ones in here. I, don't know, I, I Usually I mark some down. I don't think I did this week, so that's, uh, that's a mistake on my part. But uh, I have no doubt the link is there. You can watch it. You can hear the comments for yourself, and I highly recommend that you do, as always. This is one where DiBiase is trying to get in front of Razor, you know, show how easily the kid can be taken care of. But as a heel of heels, he'll hit stun guns, pile drivers, and he keeps picking up the one, two, three kid. Yes, indeed. He will show off his uh, superior size, which he doesn't always get to do. Uh, before the match, he will make fun of Razor Ramon once again for getting beat and then robbed by a nobody. And you know what? I think the reason DiBiase got involved in this is not because one, two, three kids beat Razor. It's because he took his money and that, that I think mm. raised the red flags for Ted. You know, that's a much greater humiliation, I think. That's a good point. I could, I could buy that. 
Uh, so uh, once again, we get Waltman putting up a great fight. I really got to praise this guy again. I've done it a number of times already, and I think I will continue to do so all through this run because he is going to be doing stuff really, like I said, that nobody else in the company is doing or maybe even can do at this time. Yeah, we get the million-dollar dream, too. I feel like DiBiase's better in this than he's been in the other stuff he's been doing for a while now. I hate to say because I know you like Rotunda. I like him, too, at times, but I really think IRS dragged the man down. You know, he has IRS has a reputation for being just a very boring, very dull ring worker in this gimmick, and I think, unfortunately, he's kind of lived down to that reputation. I think it's a fair statement, but I don't think DiBiase has been popping during that time either. That's true. I think that's fair. I don't think you can put it entirely on uh, Rotunda here. Does he hurt himself against Razor, or is he already kind of on his way out? I believe he planned to be on his way out here, and I think that was the right call, considering what we've been saying about him. Yeah. Yeah, so he's going out. I'm glad that we got this additional piece of DiBiase's career before he goes out. I am, too. I think there's some good stuff here, especially this stuff with Razor, I think is actually well done. And I think it's just exactly how DiBiase should go out, you know, putting a guy over, turning him face. You know, it's a shame they didn't do um, like retirement type matches at this time, because I think there's a few times they really could have used them to their advantage. But instead, people just kind of like flitter away. And, uh, you know, just one day they retired and you didn't even know it was going to happen. So, yeah, and you, did, you did not get a lot of fanfare back in the day. That's for yep. sure. Yeah, that's just, just the way it is. I'm just thinking how hot a crowd would be for a match where if DiBiase lost. He would have to retire. Like, I feel like they'd be jumping out of their seats to, like, see this guy get his final comeuppance. Yeah, you easily could have done. You know, if Razor loses, he has to go into servitude to DiBiase. If DiBiase loses, he has to leave the WWF. Yeah, man, like, just uh, pump it up, you know, it's not that hard, so, I don't know, they just, uh, like you said, little fanfare at times for this stuff, but, uh, oh well. Um, it looks like Ted's gonna win, like you said, he pulls out that million dollar dream, but uh, Razor Ramon will show up at ringside, Ted DiBiase will be distracted, he will let go, he will be taunting Razor Ramon, but when he lies back to pin Sean Waltman, he will be caught in a crucifix pin, and Waltman will get the victory over Ted DiBiase, which really felt like an awesome moment here. They really did justice by this whole storyline. I'll definitely say that. That is such an awesome spot where he lays on him like that. Because it, mm. it also makes sense because he's laying on him like that so he can watch Razor while he pins the one, two, three kid. Mm. And, you know, kid takes advantage of it. And how good is Razor Ramon? That he can be a heel that puts over the one two three kid, and now be a babyface that puts over the one two three kid. <laughs> Absolutely, he made this transition just seamlessly, and the crowd was already like asking for it, so I think it was easy to do. But man, it's great. We get Razor taunting Ted, and we've said before, I don't think anyone is better at taunting than Razor Ramon. Like Ted is ballistic here, both for the loss and for the way Razor is acting, and I I don't blame him. Like. I think Scott Hall can get anybody's blood pumping, even if they are normally like a very reserved person. Did we talk about Razor possibly being water? Yes, yes, we did have an element conversation, and we did land on water. I don't know what else he could be. Because to me, like that's part of this is the smoothest transition I may have ever seen in the history of pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Like try to imagine the Razor who's antagonizing Perfect and Savage. And wrestling Bret Hart, this is months ago, mm. is going to be a babyface right now, and it's just going to be a seamless. 
how it happens. Really, yeah. He is so much the same. Like, almost nothing about him has changed, yeah. and yet, like, subtly has become this incredibly over baby face. Like you said, perhaps the MVP of this year, maybe, I would say, one of the most over people in the company, easily. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can argue with any of that, you know. You can say Bret Hart, because if you want to do the the normal narrative, which so far is not, you know, he had the king of the ring, he wrestled three people, he'll wrestle two people at SummerSlam. But, like, if you're taking all categories, you know, maybe you still say Bret Hart, but it's not easy. It's definitely not an easy say. Mm. You know? I'll say this. Bret Hart does not appear in the set. I was looking for his matches, and there's just, like, very little of interest in this time. He's stuck in this feud with an announcer, um, you know, like, he's supposed to be king of the ring, he's a former champion, all this stuff, but man, like, if this era is one of his complaints, like, I think he probably has some uh, merit there, because, you know, I don't know if he'd be more over than Razor or some of these other guys, but, like, he, he's a big star, and he's getting very little to work with here. I didn't find him to be very over in his world title reign, to be quite honest, but... Right, yeah, me neither. Um, But also, I feel like he got bad booking in that title reign. Yeah. He's getting bad booking again now, so... You know, if you get bad booking, you're probably not going to be that over. So that yeah. there's some part of it that's not his fault. It's just it's a complicated narrative, you know, which I don't <laughs> think it's ever treated that way, but it is. Oh, uh, by the narrative, he's like the the megastar of this company at this yeah. point, and uh, nobody's even close. He should have been beating Hogan and everybody. And man, that is not the vibe that I have gotten. We'll see how he looks at SummerSlam, but yeah, he is not feeling that way right now. And especially when you see him in 94, probably maybe even SummerSlam, but part of 93, once the Owen stuff takes off, like you're going to see him treated like the fans treat him like a top star. And then mm -hmm. all that really reveals is how much he wasn't at this time. <laughs> I do. Uh, I've seen some of his stuff in 94. He definitely feels like a way bigger deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Something will click then. But the narrative is it's already clicked. And that's just not true, I think. I don't know what does it specifically, if it is his work rate or if it's other things, but uh, I part think it of it, I think, the Owen feud, I think to me it's the Owen feud because yeah. you go from like, I was in the company for eight and a, and a half years. So by God, they owe me this to like a vulnerable Bret Hart who was betrayed, like being betrayed by his family is like Hogan being betrayed by a Hulkamaniac. Yes. Yes. Or perhaps, uh, if you will take a, a slightly stretched comparison, it is Hogan being betrayed by an Andre who he thought was his friend and who he idolized. Yeah. So, you know, Owen Brett, like the vibe is different, but in some ways, Brett Owen is Hogan Andre, I think, in terms of like being important for the character. That's such a smart thing. And then, you know, for, for idiots or, or people with <laughs> other views, I mean, uh, who think that, oh, well, by that time, Luger sucked and Brett was just clearly so much more popular. Like, you just said Bret Hart was having his Andre the Giant feud while Lex Luger was having his Ludwig Borga feud. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. That so, hurts. like, who do you think is going to be more popular? Yeah, again, like, so much is down to booking. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, the way fans reacted to Luger um, in this segment, in this, uh, you know, we're still going to cover him a bit. He's more over than I think Bret has been most of the time. I think um, so. We saw a contract signing with Brett and Yoko as well. Yeah. You know, you know the fans were, they weren't sitting on their hands, but like they weren't going crazy for Brett or anything. I didn't think. The it thing felt that, like it was that, about Yokozuna. Yeah. I think that there's no, this, and this is what, these are all be questions for next week, but so when, 
between the time that Lex Luger slammed Yoko and the time that he uh, wrestled uh, Yoko, where did he where did he flop? Where did he flop? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? No, but clearly he did because like, that's why they wanted to put the belt on him. By God, but he just sucked so bad that they couldn't. <laughs> You you will have to unearth quite a bit of stuff next week um, because this whole it's all mysterious, you know, like they present him so well. They put him on a bus. And like you said, like he wasn't even really in front of the fans properly to like get this push. And then SummerSlam will just be a nightmare disaster in terms of the booking. Just couldn't be worse. Takes the count out, celebrates like he just, uh, you know, (laughs) won the whole world. And then, you know, they'll just flush him down the toilet after that. So, like, it's just bizarre stuff. Babyface Hulk Hogan would have burned that building down with the fans in it. (laughs) (laughs) And been over more for doing it. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God. He would have acted out so badly, no doubt. Whew. Oh, boy. All right. That is uh, the next two weeks. We'll be digging deeply into some uh, trauma for the Mystics. So, so we we will try to be therapeutic about it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be rough. Like I don't, I don't desire, it, but like I didn't desire some of the WCW stuff. But you can't, it can't be the Legacy series if you pick and choose what you cover. Yep. When you're unearthing, you, you just dig. Sometimes you don't uh, worry about what you're gonna find. You'll worry about that when you unearth something and you get cursed by it. You know that's that's a problem for later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, so this is. I'm looking right. forward to what you have to say about the Jim Cornette stuff because this is this is going to probably be one of Bobby Heenan's final, you know, moments in WWF. Mm, he is gone in December, and this is August 2nd on Raw. So, yes, Bobby Heenan will be introducing essentially his replacement for top manager of the WWF, uh, which doesn't mean as much maybe as it used to, but uh, he will bring in Jim Cornette. Uh, who will come here out of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, who I think will still be, like, around and, like, interacting with the WWF at times. Um, Heenan sells this wonderfully. He is over the moon about Jim Cornette. I have no idea what their relationship was, if any, but he sells it like this is his best friend in the world. He hugs him, just, just, just puts him over the top here. So, very good showing by Bobby Heenan, who could have been very sour about a guy coming in to kind of, like, take a very similar role to him. I can't. I hope I'm not making this up because I don't. I hope this isn't what resides in my head when I'm making things up. But uh, Jim Cornette may have said that um, he became aroused by Bobby Heenan's uh, speech at the beginning of this. Uh, so it's possible. I mean, uh, it seems like the kind of thing Cornette might say. Um, uh, interestingly, Vince McMahon even says like, "Oh, here he's from Smoky Mountain Wrestling." Yeah. So this that is a time where Vince deal. can be. Uh, arm twisted into talking about other promotions, which is notable in and of itself. They know Jim Cornette does not like to travel. Jim Cornette does not like to get on planes. And so they need Jim Cornette more than Jim Cornette needs them. So I think Jim, he lays out like he wants to heavily bodies pushed. I think he wants, you know, Smoky Mountain referenced and he gets all the things that he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So heavily bodies are interesting. I never know what to think of these guys someday. Hopefully, I'll be able to watch a bunch of Smoky Mountain Wrestling because I feel like there's some stuff in there that I would like. Um, a lot of Armstrongs, uh, Brad and uh, Bullet Bob, and you got Paul Orndorff running around there uh, for quite a while, I think. 
Midnight Express do a run in there, you know. But usually Heavenly Bodies is what you hear about because they're the ones who made it to the WWF for a while. So we'll see how they do. Yeah. I love this segment. Like, I love Bobby Heenan putting him over. Then he mm. puts Bobby Heenan over. They hug, like, several times. Yeah. And the, the fans are not used to this. And, you know, the fans do not appreciate this in WWF when, like, he'll just go on a celebratory uh, tour of each, of each other. <laughs> Absolutely so. And, uh, man, if you want to be over as a heel in this era, just make sure you hug another guy. And the fans will always react to that. That's the sign of the times, I guess. But, um, yep, Heenan will say that Cornette is the greatest manager in wrestling history. Jim Cornette says, I have done it all in wrestling except conquer the WWF. He says he will bring in the heavenly bodies to do just that. He calls out the Steiners. Uh, he even does some commentary, I think, on this episode of Raw. So we've got Jim Cornette and, uh, you know, whatever you may think or not think. But what he does these days, I think you have to recognize that this is one of the greatest uh, on-screen talents, managers, promos of his era. So we're going to definitely see some good Jim Cornette stuff here. Yeah, very nice of you. I will not be giving a trigger warning about what you think of Jim Cornette. (laughs) I hated him. I'm the opposite. Like, I hated him more for what he did in the 90s than what he does now. (laughs) Oh, that's fair, you know. Um I'll, uh, I don't want to talk about Jim Cornette in the modern day, so unless it comes up, I'll probably just leave that alone. You know, that's almost, that's an entirely different conversation. It's not yeah. really, uh, what we're here to talk about. So we'll just put that away and, uh, continue on with the 1993 stuff. Cornette's here for one reason and one reason only, and it has nothing to do with that segment. It has to do with the next one. Oh boy. Yep. So, uh, August 9th, next week on Raw, we have, the Luger Yokozuna contract signing. I'm trying to remember. You referenced it. I, I can't believe I left this off. But Luger indeed will get this title shot. And how does that come about? I I, I completely am blanking on how that happens. Do you know? I don't know if I remember. It might just be the Lex Express tour that he's crisscrossing the country, garnering support uh, for a title shot. I'm not sure. Fair enough. Yeah, maybe that. Is this around the time? There was some time where Luger came out as, like, WWF champion. I think it's something they taped before SummerSlam, like, they were going to air after it. And That's maybe they thought he would be champion, so they, like, put the belt on him, and then they never, you know, aired it, obviously. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that happened before WrestleMania 10 as a way oh, okay. to swerve. They were trying to swerve the, the, the uh, writers, uh, you know, outside of the business. Okay, fair enough. I just got a ping of that, but that's a little later on, so fair enough, fair enough. Um... So, yes, we have the contract signing. Everyone is gathered there. The ring is full. You've got Vince, Savage, Heenan, Jack Tunney, all these others. Um, Yokozuna and Fuji come out. And here, Jim Cornette is with them. And as you say, uh, he is here, Fuji says, to be their American spokesman. So I guess they brought him on to write in that um, yes. uh, <laughs> that clause where Luger can't get a rematch. This is an unbelievable segment. In one way, it's got it's, there's something awesome about it, and then again the the irony. Number one, do you do you put that many people in the ring for a contract signing for what's going to be a countout at a pay per view, or do you put that many people in the ring to crown your next babyface world champion? Mm, yeah, yeah. But and here comes the, Cor- yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, uh, this is where I switched over, I guess, in my notes. I kind of forgot this, but uh, I'm, I'm referring to my notes back when I first watched this for the Heenan series. For the July 4 stuff, I was on board, but here in August 9, I have uh, Luger comes out to John Philip Sousa, and it's way over the top. Why can't Vince leave this patriotic shit alone? So I think even with me, even like about a month later, I was recognizing that this is like kind of too over the top and uh, not something that is probably going to work out long term. Do you know which parts you were referring to? I think just like he comes out with like the John Philip Sousa and it's just like there's all this pomp and circumstance. It's all like, yeah, America, but it's 1993. Like it didn't really work with slaughter. It's not really going to work here. Just I don't know. Like the presentation, I think, has already kind of fallen off. And you're already seeing the holes in this kind of outdated way of pushing a guy. Yeah, I think that's that's for sure fair. As I've said, Lex Luger, who has never had a thought on any booking in his life, (laughs) thought that, you know, he was going to do the American thing until he won at SummerSlam and then be like total package or something. Oh, yeah. Instead, he'll be doing it into uh, mid-95. You know, he'll be doing it until the day before. He trades in his American shirt for that puffy white shirt on that yes. show. Yeah. And changes the game. Yes. Yes. <sighs> to me, I've always loved this. I, I agree with everything you said about it. But, like, I like Luger comes out. I like when he looks at him from the apron mm. before he even gets in the ring. There's a real serious moment there. Again, first we get Cornette, who, again, okay, so – Maybe some of our Luger show will be a repeat of this show because here's another argument that you have to <laughs> – you know, Jim Cornette tells this American hero who is – Lex Luger is America, and America is Lex Luger at this point. Whether it makes any sense or not, that's what it is, and he's the baby face is Luger, and Luger is the baby face. Right. And he says, you know, if you beat Yokozuna, you'll be the World Wrestling Federation champion. Luger's excited. The fans are excited. And I knew the words because I've listened to this probably 45, 50, 100 times in my life. But if you don't beat Yokozuna, you'll never get a shot again because there's a clause in the contract. And Lex Luger could not care less about the stipulation in the contract because he says all I asked for was one shot. In this great country, that's what opportunity is all about. I won't need more than one shot. So because of what everything that America is, you only need one shot and you rise to the occasion. So they are banking Lex Luger as a babyface, as an American hero on one thing and one thing only. And that's his ability in one shot to be able to win the WWF title. Man, there's so much going on here. First of all, I just want to say, I don't think I think Luger is doing a great job with all of this. So even though I'm critical already of this patriotic stuff, I think Luger is presenting himself really well. Second thing, why did Babyface said be dumb and not read contracts? Like you yes. don't have a lawyer? Oh my god, what the hell, man? <laughs> just like, are you and when did idiot? Jack Tunney stop being crooked? Right. <laughs> I see is crooked if you just let this kind of like fly by, you know, so, oh my God. Um, But I will say this, it's a badass line, I think, when he says he won't need, doesn't need more than one shot. I think that's a great speech and it just makes it all the more just infuriating and 
despair-inducing to think about what happens at SummerSlam, because this is not like a trick that he found out about after the fact. They told him right up, if you don't win the title, you will never get another title shot. And he doesn't win the title, and he lets it happen. He doesn't break the count, and he could have broken the damn count. Yeah. And then he he jumps around the ring. Like, that is the worst part of it all, when he jumps around the ring and celebrates his non-win, his pathetic, like, basically a stalemate with Yokozuna, and he'll never get a shot again. And he is just, I guess, thrilled about it. And, man, that is the worst part of it all. And in the great narrative of wrestling, this is the greatest push of all time, and Luger's inability is what caused the problem. If this was a soap opera, the Lex Luger character would realize at the last minute, you never meant for me to be the world champion. Like, you set me up this whole time. You know, like, the only thing that you could be trying to do to Lex Luger is to destroy him to the point that he could never, ever do anything again. Like, that's the only thing the booking, once you have these words from Jim Cornette and these words from Lex Luger, either he wins the world title in one shot, or he's a liar, America's a liar, the fans are liars, baby faces are liars. Like, it's all right there. You forced it to that point, and then you don't deliver. Like, what else is there to think? And then not only that, but if he had wrestled in fair, maybe he would have beat him. But he's got to cheat and use the forearm, and he cost himself. So once again, like, it's, it's, it's an America only needs one shot. Babyface only needs one shot. Challenger only needs one shot. And then he cheats and loses by, or wins by countout and celebrates it. Like, he's a hypocrite. He's a liar. He's a phony. He's a fraud. And this is supposed to be the greatest push of all time. I don't see how you can possibly look at all this stuff and say he wasn't set up to fail. Cause the one thing you could say on Luger is man, when they told him like celebrate after you win, you know, don't like, you should right. just say no to that. But he did yes. it. You know, he agreed. Cause as you said, he just went along with the booking, but you know, they told him cause they present it like a celebration. Like that's all the vibe. Like do the wrestlers come out and like celebrate with him? Yes. I, yeah. So it was the plan. You can't put the. It clearly wasn't Luger's idea to celebrate. He just went along because he, you know, he follows uh, his boss. And you, I don't know how much you can blame him for that, but oh, they really set him up to fail. I don't see how you can possibly say that they didn't. You know, you can think Luger's good or not, but if you don't think they sabotaged him here for no reason, for no reason that makes any sense, then I don't know what to tell you. My guess is, and I guess we'll never really know, Vince McMahon booked all of this for Lex Luger to win the title at SummerSlam, uh-huh. and then enough people got into his ear that, that he pushed it back to WrestleMania, but you can't push it back after you've been on TV saying these things. You cannot do that. Right, yeah, absolutely not. Um, it makes no sense. Like, I don't doubt that that's the case, but then how do you not go and change the ending to something else like this? Yes. This this ending is going to be the worst, like one of the worst endings we've seen in all of wrestling history. That's just. It's I guess they paid a lot of money to get those balloons and by God, they need to drop. <laughs> and the, the thing is, honestly, I think you could have done everything the same, but just have Luger instead of celebrating, have him be mad, have him like act out. You know, like you said, Hulk Hogan would have burned the building down. Get some of that energy in there. I think you can do everything the same, but just do that. And you save a lot of face with Lex Luger. But no, there he is prancing around. Like, there isn't anything like, I can't exaggerate enough the way he prances around. Like, it is just, 
oh, it hurts to even think about. Well, I think about this. If I was that age as a Lex Luger fan and I got a chance to go to that building, I would have been crying after the end of the match. Yes. Oh. So, like, how are, who, who in the world's in the crowds like watching his celebration at the end of it? Like, I legit would have been crying if I had been in that building and I would have wanted to go home and I would not have watched that celebration. It's baffling. Like, there is, you cannot justify it. I don't believe that anything can make that make sense. And the, the words are just so official. Like, what a response to Cornette. Like, and Cornette comes out with the integrity here because, like, you know, they knew to put the contract. They knew to put the dirty cheater tried to use his forearm, but he didn't get the job done. So, thankfully, we don't have to do that again. It's just awful. It's like at the end of Rocky, if he had, like, tripped on his shoelaces and got knocked out. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work, you know. You can't do it that way. <sighs> yeah, so we got ourselves a mess there. But if you watch this, if you watch this contract signing, just look at how from the beginning, the, the crowd response only grows greater as Luger is doing his stuff. So that's a good sign, not a bad sign. He says all the right things. Like, if you were going to win the title, this would be a perfect, like, amazing promo. So, I guess, like, if plans are changed later, you can't take the words back. But, man, what a mess. What an awful mess. You just don't change the plans. Yes. Who are these people coming out against Luger that, like, and in favor of what? Like, all these people are like, yeah, we just got to make Yokozuna be champion for, like, a long time. Like, I love Yokozuna, but you can't tell me he's, like, doing a big draw or anything. Yeah, you could just as easily, Yoko could beat him on Raw, Yoko could beat him at Survivor Series. Like, if he's not getting the job done, once you give him the opportunity, you could easily put the belt back on Yoko, and you could still go to Brett later. Sure, yeah. I hate to even suggest, but man, have him win it at SummerSlam and then lose it back. You know, like, do it right away, even. You could do it one night later, if you want to. And I I hesitate, because Luger got... That's what they did him in WCW, but even so, then you got around the claws, you got him his victory, he's a bigger star, you could do the WrestleMania match if you want to. It's just, uh, there were just so many better ways to do it. Yeah, but you do leave this press conference thinking there is only one thing that can happen at SummerSlam. (laughs) Two things, either Lex Luger saves America, or he's a big fucking clown, and we know that happened. (laughs) I know what this is like, uh... Okay, so this is like for those uh, for those who have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm-hmm. you know, Lucy is the most honest character, and she says like she went in the wardrobe, and there's a magic land over there, and like the they want to believe her, but you know, there's no magic lands in wardrobes, so they don't believe her, and they go to the professor because she must have lost her mind, and it's World War One, and what in the world? And he pulls a little logic, and he's like, oh, so she usually tells lies, and they're like, ah. No, she actually she's the more honest one. Oh, so blah blah blah. And then he says, "Well, then you believe she's telling the truth." This is like if Lucy was lying the whole time and there wasn't a land inside the wardrobe. It is, yeah. It's just. It, so like, we choose to believe you. You're very honest. We're sorry. And then she's like, "Well, I was lying. Grow up." Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It just. Um... It goes against every piece of common sense, every piece of storytelling, and just, it, it, it's a mess. We're going to okay. need a whole show to, like, pick apart every piece of this. Like, I don't know how we're going to survive the next show, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I don't either. That's going to be, it's going to be a, a work of labor, but we will do, we will do so. <laughs> Whew, okay. 
All right, just so we don't end on that note, we have one more match to cover here. It is from uh, August 22nd, the SummerSlam Spectacular, the special uh, kind of before SummerSlam to show off a little bit of these guys. And we have uh, Razor Ramon taking on Blake Beverly. Once again, Mike Enos gets a nice little showing here. So, yeah, it's Scott Hall coming up against one of the guys who's going to be standing in that ring when he jumps the rail in three years. So that's interesting yeah. in and of itself. That's historical by itself. Yeah, absolutely. I um, love this match. I love the crowd response to Razor Ramon. It's yeah. just, man, they're ready to cheer Razor. They are. It's a great crowd response. It's it's an excellent match, actually, I think, uh, kind of for what it is. It's not really meant to be uh, a huge feature match, but it's just an excellent match, I think. Um uh, Razor so over. He starts with the toothpick, and I just I love that toothpick spot. I always have, even in like late stage. There's two things Scott Hall never lost. He could always throw a toothpick, and he could always throw a punch. So mm. you got to give him credit for that. I think. Absolutely, it's just, and they're both they're so trademarked, both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in my late WCW WCW watching that I'm doing, there's a lot of dire stuff, obviously. But one funny bit is. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they spent a lot of time just goofing around backstage in this era. And Scott Hall talks about how um, he writes off all his toothpicks on his taxes and criticizes Jeff Jarrett because he should do the same with his guitars. Which <laughs> I thought was funny. So. That's awesome. It's also like, how much more does he do with his toothpicks than Jarrett with his guitars? Oh, so much more. Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, you got uh, Enos in here. He's doing some uh, cheeky slaps to Razor Ramon, which I think he's going to regret. Mm. Uh, you get such an electric performance here from Razor Ramon. That word is maybe overused, but when I watch his work, I get that like kind of tingly feeling like maybe there's some electricity in the air when I watch this guy. He's just so good. Yeah, electric's a good word. And Again, listen to the crowd response. I think it's an accurate statement. Oh, for sure. Uh Blake Beverly, uh, Mike Enos, he does a great job bumping around once again. Uh, he is a little Mr. Perfect-like at times in here, which, again, makes me wish we had seen that Mr. Perfect Razor Ramon feud that we should have seen probably at WrestleMania. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It's such a fascinating thing to think that two of your top baby faces right now are, like, the narcissist and the, the murdering bad guy from, <laughs> what, four or five months ago or three months ago or... Sure, yeah, and Mr. Perfect still, really, is still one of your yeah. top guys as well. So it's a motley crew, but, um, man, it's a great crew, actually. Luger, Razor Ramon, and Kurt Hennig, that is a, a threesome that I would put on top of my company without batting an eye. Yeah, and so Yoko's holding up the other side. That's why you got, I guess, Brett with Jerry Lawler, you know. I would have loved to see Perfect against Yokozuna, too, now that I think of it. Or Razor. Yeah. There's no Razor-Yokozuna feud that i know of maybe i missed it somewhere but like there's a lot of stuff left on the table i feel like i don't know i would love to see perfect drop kick on yoko i'd love to see the choke slam attempt from scott hall mm. lots of good stuff you're right a lot left on the table yeah for sure it's, it's funny because usually that happens to lex luger but he actually got the feud and uh I will certainly be praising the title match because I think it's uh, quite good and quite underrated. The SummerSlam one, aside from the ending, of course. So, especially in this era, like it feels like a main event when a lot of times their main events don't feel like main events. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I love Razor, but like Razor and Brett, 
did it really feel like a world title match? I don't know, but Luger and Yoko definitely does. So definitely getting some vibe off of that. I do think that if there was if there was never a Diesel, we would have saw a Razor Ramon world title reign. I wish Vince had been like, I'm sorry, you're a wrestler in my company. Whether you like it or not, you got to be the champion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if you don't go to every, like, mall opening, like, great, we're just going to use you to, uh, like, be the champion because you're so popular. I wish, you know, I wish. I think one of the happiest, I'm in this god-awful era that we're in right now, and I'm Vince McMahon, and I'm watching my screen in Scott Hall versus or Razor Ramon versus Blake Brett Beverly. I'm very happy about what I've either stumbled into or worked my way into. <laughs> Indeed. Instead, he's fretting with his lawyers because he thinks he's going to go to jail. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if he'd been paying attention, who knows what might have happened. Um, so uh, my, Mike Enos will throw Razor into an exposed turnbuckle, but Razor will uh, fight back. He will rally and win with a very nice-looking Razor's Edge. So this is a very fun one. I do recommend checking this one out to uh, finish out the set here. Some very good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, good energy going into SummerSlam. Uh, I think, like I said, I think I've overset it now, but I think a smart move to turn Razor face. And so in some ways, like you've said, I'll show they're, on, they're, they're doing the right thing in, in certain pockets. They are, you know, there's good stuff uh, along with the bad. And the nice thing about these bonus uh, sets is we can kind of focus on the good stuff a little more. But, um, yeah, next up we have SummerSlam 93. And I assume you have seen this show before. Absolutely. Okay, I thought so. Did you, did you buy the tape or uh, what did you do? Whew, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I don't think I ever bought the tape. Did you no. actually get to order the pay-per-view? Surely not. Mm. No, we never ordered pay-per-views till later on. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. All right. The mystery of uh, how you saw this show. Maybe it'll come to you as we go along here. Um, it's an interesting card. We got Razor and Ted, of course. We got Steiners and the Heavenly Bodies, which I think uh, I remember being a lot of fun. We have uh, Michaels versus Perfect, which is a little bit infamous for kind of being a letdown. We'll see if we agree or not. Um we have uh, Rotunda against 123Kid, so that uh. could be interesting as well. Uh, Brett will pull double duty against Doink and then Lawler. Uh, we'll see the debut of Ludwig Borga against Marty Jannetty. Oh, I wonder mm. how that one will go. Um, ha, ha, ha. I think Borga might do the torture rack. Ooh, I don't remember that, but maybe. I, we'll get into this in future shows, but... Ludwig Borga, he's kind of like a bad word to some people. I kind of like the guy, so I don't know. We'll see if that bears out. Um, I just feel like he's one of these heavy-hitting guys. Like, I feel like he would really hammer somebody, and that'll get you over with me pretty well. He's a god-awful pairing with Lex Luger. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> and their feet suck, so but that's, for, that's for later on. Uh, yeah, Borga, Borga's debut. He'll also visit Luger in the locker room at the end of the show, so we'll see him twice. Oh boy, what? Yeah, what a sour feud to go from the world title to that to kill time. That just that ain't it. Yeah, but, um, no. And we're talking about how much time are we talking about? Six months, seven, eight, nine, about ten months. Yeah, far away from uh, the next title shot, however that comes about. So, uh, Undertaker will rematch with Giant Gonzalez in his last appearance. Um, Smoking Guns will team up with Tatanka against Bam Bam Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers. So that'll be interesting. And then, of course, Lex Luger against Yokozuna with Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. Singles match for the WWF Championship. Mm. 
Whew. where only one thing could happen. <laughs> I wish they stopped having six-man and eight-man tags on these pay-per-views. I'll go ahead and say that. Yeah, I don't know what the point of that is exactly. Just to get people on the card, I guess. Uh, I'd rather it's just all... see smoking guns and head shrinkers. You could leave Tataka and Bigelow off um, entirely. That'd be fine. They've been in whatever feud they're in for a long time. <laughs> it's such a non-feud. Like, I assume they're feuding, but I don't know. Something something there. I think, I don't know. Luna Vachon will be my draw for that feud, so we'll just be glad she's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's SummerSlam, folks. <laughs> All right, it's coming up. That's in two weeks. Next week, a special set on Lex Luger. I don't know exactly what you all want to do. You got to tell me anything you want to watch or if you want me to look for some uh, matches to kind of fill it out or maybe um, whatever shoot interviews. If you want to watch and bring them to me or if you want us both to watch, you're going to have to let me know the format of that. But it should be very interesting when we get to that because uh, that's what we've been talking about for a very long time here. Yeah, sadly, I don't have a clue what we're doing either. So, <laughs> Well, thanks to our uh, recording schedule, you have a few weeks to put it together. But that yeah. will air next week in the, the, the airing schedule. So you are almost there to the big, uh, already infamous before it starts, Lex Luger episode of WWF The Legacy Series. Yeah, so this will be kind of the final big talk on Lex Luger. He'll be around for a couple of years, but, you know, it'll be smaller conversations as we go along Mm -hmm. it has to be i mean after this point it's just not going to be the same again we all know that because the thing that had to happen won't happen and uh in some ways he won't ever really recover from that in this company so i I don't know if anyone's ever been booked worse because then you don't even have the decency to turn him heel for two years so he's like he's gonna stand in his baby face uh posture You know, in spite of what he did, shaming himself and the country and the world and the fans and and every single thing that's ever been true about WWF. And then he just stays babyface for two and a half years or whatever. He will definitely have to live in his uh, failure for a long time. So that's and walk around like he doesn't know it. (laughs) Oh, my. All right. So that will all be uh, coming up in the next two weeks. Some very exciting stuff. Uh, I think that's everything we have to say on this show. Anything else you want to cover before we call it here? No, I think we I think we got it where it needs to be. All right, my friend. Very good, very good. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Tell me again about how bad you think WrestleMania night is. <laughs> You're in the majority. We are in the minority. We recognize that. Um, but uh, I hope you also check out The Great Conversation, as I said, on LPForums.com. A lot of great written material there, including our uh, very great thread about this show where we have wonderful conversations uh, with some wonderful fans who like to post in there and just uh, offer spectacular insights. Uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com as well, of course, is our main page with even more great written material and uh, links to our podcasts on our podcast network as well. we got so much great material. You can never run out of it. You consume it all to your heart's content. What a wonderful age we live in. Um, that is all we've got for this week. So uh, until the Lex Luger mega episode, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered.
white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is Undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared